This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means you're listening to another episode of the Crowncast. And it's a Wednesday Crowncast. The sort of vibe around Charlotte FC is is that of uh, disillusionment, of potentially false hope. And uh, we're going to keep that going for you here at the Crowncast. So here to give out false hope is Josh. Hello, Josh. Hey, Logan. (laughs) We, you know, it's one of those things that like, what can you say at this point in time in the season? What can you, like, what, what new thing can you bring to the table of Charlotte FC is quite bad at the moment? Mm, I think the best is to try to talk through things in a way that maybe is a bit cathartic. I feel like there's a lot of like sort of doom and gloom around, and I'm not saying that there's not, that's not understandable. Um, but I don't know, maybe, maybe we can try to tackle it in a different way and try to make sense of some of these things as a way to, um, logically come to terms with how this season is going. Ah, yes. The logic, the, (laughs) the number one most desired thing in all of football fans, the logic, um, that's what we're here for people. We know what you want. Uh, we know what you want, 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 want. Uh, I'm not sure if I can do that. We'll see if they yell at me. Anyway, <laughs> we we are going to talk the New England Revolution uh, today. We're going to try and keep it as upbeat as it can be. Obviously, this was a huge loss for Charlotte FC. Uh, we're going to do some talking about uh, some new interesting things that I think will be fun and, and sort of mix up the pot, if you will. But I think we can jump into something that you brought up, Josh, Mm-hmm. about New England Revolution's first goal in that it may not entirely be because Charlotte is bad. It might be because <laughs> New England was good. Is that about what, what you think? Yeah, I, I think sometimes it's pretty easy for us as fans uh, to forget that the other guys get paid too, right? And when you go and look at this goal, I think your first reaction is, oh my gosh, how did that guy get so wide open? Typical Charlotte, defense is terrible. And sure, there's an element, of course, where you you do have to blame our our defensive players. But if you go back and watch that, I think you also have to give a lot of credit to Buck, who is the New England scorer of this goal. The way he glides sort of in and out of the vision of two or three Charlotte players. Um, And then he finds this space between Gaines, who is occupied by a guy out wide, and then Nathan Byrne, who's occupied by a guy sort of directly in front of him and so when i when i watched this back my first reaction wasn't man charlotte need to do better it was that is some good forward play and then not only does he get into that space but i mean the finish is really really good it's hit really hard it's going into that corner there's not really anything kalina is ever going to be able to do about that not i don't think any goalkeeper is going to be able to do anything with that shot um and i would be remiss to say if i if i didn't mention that for a guy named Buck to then have a celebration where he makes antlers, I, you need that in, in sport. And um, I wish we had a player who, who had such an on-the-nose celebration. It really tickled me, even in a moment of real frustration. <laughs> in a little bit of a peek behind the curtain here for, for the listeners, we were in the, the game day chat, and uh, I, I think it was Jorge from uh, Jorge's photo, vid- uh, fo- photo and videos 
uh, popped in the chat and said, imagine having a name like Nacho. And I was like, I would have to open a Nacho restaurant. There's literally nothing else you can do. The universe has decided your path. Uh, and I would just keep opening them up until they until they succeeded. I'd keep trying different yeah. types of nachos. And this is and he was like, no, no, you can't do that. I was like, look, sometimes the universe tells you what to do. Yeah. And later on in the game, Buck did this celebration. And I was like, ha, <laughs> you see what I mean? Sometimes this is you. it's set out for you. Yeah. You don't have to reinvent the wheel, you know, <laughs> so sometimes it, the, the right answer is actually right in front of your face. I am going to talk about Carol Schroederski because most of the time when uh, anyone is going to say something nice about Carol Schroederski, I give it to the people who have traditionally been nice about Carol Schroederski. And uh, this time I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to do it myself. Uh, Carol played really well. That's it. Yep. Congratulations yep. to Carol. Well done. You've gotten your flowers. Uh, no, really, Carol went out, and he was the one who looked like he was going to make something happen the whole game. He was the one who looked like he was going to be the difference maker if the difference was going to be made. He was the one who who looked like he was going to give it everything he had. And I really liked that he was firing, that he was mm -hmm. shooting. It does come, and I think it's the 87th minute. Is that correct? Yeah, I think, it's uh, I think it's a little before that. I think it's like the 84th or so. 84th minute. Uh, you'd, you'd think that of all of the stats I have uh, set up in front of me, I would have had that one. But... It does, it does come down to a chance where Carol basically does everything. Mm -hmm. It is 84th minute. Uh, Carol basically does everything. I think, you know, the ball is sent long. It's route one football. I will yeah. give uh, some credit over to Enzo Capetti because he does jump for the ball and he, does, he doesn't win the aerial duel, but he makes the aerial duel uh, uncontrollable for the mm -hmm. defender. So the ball does fall to Carroll, but after that, Carroll takes it through like three people and shoots yep. it from the top of the box into the bottom corner. Like it was all Carroll's doing, and uh, I, it it hurts me that he didn't get any reward for that because of of the day that he had that he looked like he wanted to be the one who did it. So I think he deserves to be called out for a good performance mm -hmm. and a stunningly good shot from a place that I don't think many people would have taken it. Uh. We are going to, I think, move through New England Revolution pretty quick. Should yeah. we hop on to the sad thing that happened a whole minute later? <laughs> yeah, I guess we must, right? Yeah, um, it, yeah it so <laughs> a minute later, New England, um, I mean, I don't think Charlotte fans had even stopped celebrating by the time that New England get their second goal. It's a cross to the back post. Um, a New England defender is free and open as you can be. and and doesn't miss his chance. Um, what really stuck out to me, though, is and and in the highlights, it doesn't show this as well, but I noticed it live. If you watch Carol's reaction, you know, um, Logan, you just talked about how it, it seemed like he was trying to drag us through this game, basically. And he kind of had right. He, he brings us level. The very least we're getting. It looks like we could get a tie out of this. Um, it's not what you need in that moment, but it's better than than a loss. And then when this ball comes in, the look and the body language of Carroll was different than what I have seen from him. He's, he's a very demonstrative player with his emotions on the field as it is, but usually that's a sort of a fiery um, frustration. Some might say angry. This was a resigned frustration. His hands just sort of go up in the air. His shoulders slump. 
he pulls his his shirt up over his face and to me it just seemed to be like him saying why am i here what am i doing here i have single-handedly brought us back into this game and we can't even hold that for a minute um and the other thing it spoke to me was I don't think Carroll is going to remain at Charlotte FC after this year. That was the look of frustration of not that he's going to give up because I don't think that's in Carroll's DNA to not go out there and give it his all on match day. But to me, that looked like someone who said I'm in the prime of my career and I cannot keep playing for a team that is giving away points at the rate that we give away points. Yeah. I I think the, the thought process that maybe that's a, an, an image from Carol towards his his mental future is something that I used to not put that much stock in. And uh, I used to watch football and really, you know, just everything was on the field and what was on the mm-hmm. field was on the field. And I, I have slowly come around to the fact that you can see it in players. You can kind of see the day they go, well, this is in my future. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying this is the moment, but I am willing to to take a look at that one and say, you're right. A player is demonstrative. And as a a player who is as driven as Carol Swiderski for him to just sort of go, well, that's what Charlotte does. Almost felt like he was disassociating from Charlotte. Mm -hmm. Right now we could be blowing a lot of smoke. That means nothing for all we, for all we know here. Yeah. Carol's going to sign another contract for the rest of his days to play for Charlotte FC. Like I don't, uh, this isn't a, a, a statement of fact. It's a statement of fans who love the team and its players and can see when heads go down. And and heads are down. Make no mistake. <laughs> heads heads are down. Um, one of the things that I want to talk about in this goal is I think we have a chance to get into some tactical analysis that questions how we're defending and how we're set up to defend. Some of this lands on Latanzio. Some of it lands on the players. Some of it lands in Canada. I don't. I don't know. Uh, we as a team, if you go back and you look at the way that this was defended, we set up in a way that doesn't make sense, no matter which way you look at it. Uh, forgive me, Josh. They're number nine. The name of New England uh, number nine. Gustavo Bo. I think is how you pronounce his last name. I might be wrong on the, on the last name pronunciation, though. Uh, uh, I think he's the seven. It was the nine or was it Veroni? Oh, maybe it's Veroni then. Might have been Veroni. Um, in that particular buildup, the ball is being moved down the left side. I, I mean, I think it's probably fair to say that Kamil isn't a world-class one-on-one defender. Not that anyone necessarily expects him to be, but Kamil... It but he probably did okay isn't. against... Hill, yeah. though, all things considered, as a winger going against a guy as, talent, as offensively talented as Hill, I look at that and I go, I, I'm not too mad at what you did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can say I'm not too mad at it, but I can also say that I don't think anybody thought he was going to stop the cross from coming in one way or the other. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like, at best, he was going to slow the cross down. And he does his job. He slows the cross down. And Charlotte FC has time defensively to set up a line. And that is what makes this so confusing to me, is... Kamil does okay, and Charlotte FC has time. That time should mean that we have our structure to defend moments like this in place. And when we were watching it live, I went, ooh, that's a Derek Jones problem. 
And the reason I said that is because Derek Jones was in the area and it looked to me like we were playing a system where Derek Jones was responsible for the back post area where mm-hmm. Adilson Milanda was responsible for the middle. And uh, I don't, don't remember who it was uh, on the right side, but they weren't critical in this play. But it looked like we were playing some version of zone where uh, uh, Andrew Privet would either sub in that zone for Derek Jones or Privet was marking a man. Privet is holding Mark on a man. Mm-hmm. If you watch that play from yay 10 seconds at the top down camera angle, you can see Derek Jones checking specifically for Veroni. He is watching that player like a hawk. He is following his movements. He is following his footsteps. He is waiting for that player. He follows that player into the middle and in doing so opens up the back post for another very dangerous player and ultimately the goal scorer. My question to the universe, and by the universe, I mean Christian Latanzio, is either we are playing a zonal system on that back post, and you have left Andrew Privet alone (laughs) entirely versus, like, three people. Yep. Or he was supposed to have support in that zonal system, and somebody didn't go there. Or... We're playing a man marking system and somebody is marking no one. <laughs> None of these things make sense. Like there are times that I come on this podcast and I'm like, yes, I see the plan. I see the strategy. I have this concept of where this is going. I personally believe Derek Jones was told you do not let that guy out of your sight. He is your problem. He does not score. And you know what? In that case, Derek Jones did his job. It's just as possible that Derek Jones completely abandoned his assignment because he thought somebody else was the danger and went to go solve the danger and ultimately left the back post exposed. I don't know which it is. Josh, thoughts on this? This is one of those cases where, and this is in every sport, right? Where you're never going to know the answer because you're never going to be in that meeting where they're breaking down the film and you have Latanzio or another coach saying this is what should have been happening and didn't. What I will say is, as opposed to the first goal where I gave credit to the New England player who scored it, this is very much a goal that is typical of Charlotte this year in that Whatever the direction is, you know, whether, as you said, it's man, it's zone, it's a combination of both. It doesn't matter. The point is something went awry. And yes, we can have issue with Latanzio and his coaching. You want things drilled in. But at the end of the day, it's also on the players. And as you alluded to, when you go and look at this, there are only five New England players in that six yardish area. And basically, Derek Jones and Andrew Privett ended up being responsible for three of them by themselves. And you have five Charlotte players marking like two people. It seems to happen time and time again this year where you have these plays where guys are not where they're supposed to be, wherever that is. And and that's how I look at this. I, I don't really care to assign blame too much because I think at this point, it's sort of something that we've just continuously done and until i think next year we're probably not going to see too much of a difference with this this seems to happen at least once a game uh for this charlotte fc side 
it's it's just not inspiring. It's it's the yeah. type of thing that makes me and uh, everything has a caveat. And I'm getting really tired of saying caveats for Charlotte FC. There comes a point where if you have to say, well, I can caveat this for the 75th time. Actually, you shouldn't be caveating it. It's just bad, right? And just because you can caveat it, and this is a bit of the fan in me coming out, is just because you can caveat it doesn't mean it should be. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people need to be held accountable. Yeah. And the general vibe online is a desire to hold people accountable. So not not that I don't think that that is coming and that that should be done. It's just for so many times in a row I've come onto this microphone and I've gone, I can see how this could work. Mm-hmm. I can see the good. And there comes a point of just getting beaten down into the mud as a fan. Yeah. And especially for us, because, I mean, something that, that we don't really talk about is we relive these games usually at least twice, sometimes three times, right? In order to do the analysis we do to, to, to pull the stats we pull, to write the models we write, we relive these games. And then we relive them on a podcast talking to each other. <laughs> Uh, and we, we always do it with this mentality of let's go find the, the, the brilliance that could have been. Mm-hmm. And I, I really got to admit there's come there maybe has come and gone a point where I, I'm just beat, beat down by Charlotte yeah. FC and, and, and moments like this where I can't even tell what the proper thought process was. Yeah. And, you know, you said, we'll never get that answer. I might actually get that answer because I have been handwriting Christian Latanzio letters. Uh, I've been sending them in this old thing they used to call the mail. You're his pen pal? Oh my gosh. Well, he's he's not writing them back, but I'm convinced. (laughs) I'm convinced that one day he's going to, and he's going to tell me everything through what I assume is beautiful Italian penmanship. Uh, (laughs) But it's all going to be in Italian, so you're never going to get those answers. (laughs) Well, I guess I better start learning Italian. Uh, I... Uh, I'm going to be the guy, especially now that I've given that whole speech. And I, I'm going to be the one to tell you, if you're holding out hope that Charlotte FC is going to make the playoffs, good on you. But at this point in time, you you should know. As as a fan, you should properly prepare for the fact that you you can go online and you can search Charlotte FC right now. And, and the first 20 results are, Charlotte FC's hopes for the playoffs are not yet gone. Uh and the truth is, Charlotte FC's hope for the playoffs are, are essentially gone. And I, well, I do, I do mean that in a bad way. It would take it's nothing short of a miracle at this point mm-hmm. to get Charlotte FC in the playoffs. And if you look at the table, it's about right. <laughs> if yeah. you were to sort the table by uh, goals against, Charlotte FC is like 14th out of 15. If you yep. sort... If you sort it by points, obviously, we're 14 out of 15. If you sort it by goals four, actually, we're not that bad. And I think we'd be something like ninth, but that's off the top of my head, um, out of 15. If you so- sort it by any any measure of what Charlotte FC done, we didn't get here by accident. We are the 14th out of 15th team in this league. And that's about right. Yep. So it, it's frustrating and and it's... And it's bad news, obviously, because last probably what I'm going to name this is the fading dream of the playoffs, because we did that last year. And I'm just going to call it that number two. We talked about it briefly back when we played LAFC and won. We said, what does Charlotte have to do to make the playoffs? Right. And we looked at the schedule ahead and said, we basically have to beat Orlando City. 
we did not beat Orlando City. We said we have to get something out of going to Nashville. We did get a point out of Nashville. We said we have to beat uh, DC United, that it was absolutely had to be a win. We did not win. Because we knew we were going into Philadelphia, Cincinnati, and New England, and all three of them were very good teams in which Charlotte was not expected to come away with anything. And you know what? We essentially came away with nothing. We could have come away with three points. We threw it against Philadelphia. Yep. At this point in time, Toronto is the 15th team in the league. We have to beat them. And then we have to go and beat Chicago, which is a six-pointer. Yep. And then we have to go beat Inter Messi twice. Yep. It's, Although he hasn't been playing recently. <laughs> yeah, there is a chance that it will just be Inter Miami, which I will admit is significantly more beatable. Yeah. But at this point in time, the odds are the only reason there are still odds is because of the massive divide in the table and the odds are awful. Mm-hmm. I, I think I rambled a bit there. Is there anything you want to add on to this point? Just that. When I look at when I look at this season, what is going to come out of it is our inability to prevent goals. It is something that was there from the very beginning. And while our our attacking ability has improved, I think, a little bit from last season. Um, it was something that as the year went on, you just slowly realized wasn't going to change. And as you alluded to, I mean, the next two games that we're playing, Toronto and then Chicago, are against other teams that give away a lot of goals. And wouldn't you know, Toronto's out of it and Chicago is a little bit better off than us, but there's still some issues for, with them making the, the playoffs. And so it's just been a, it's been a disappointing season because things just haven't really changed from the they, very beginning. They have absolutely not changed. I, I think we all expected there to be some development. And I think most of us said that we don't care if it changes the whole world. We just want to see mm-hmm. some development, Right. And, and I really feel like I have not seen it. Um, let's let's take a moment here and let's jump ahead into the next thing, just because my overwhelming negativity on this matter <laughs> might um, might might start to rub off and become like full true. I want to do a, a segment that is meant to highlight whether or not Charlotte FC has grown as a club. And I kind of warned you about this, but not really. I, I'm going to call it the lineup lineup. And what I'm going to do is I am going to read you our lineup against DC United. Mm-hmm. First game of the first season. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I want to know how many of the, the players in our current team you would take over the players who played DC United. Up top, okay. we had TD Ortiz. Currently up top, the best sort of... Uh, in this game, I, I can say would be Enzo Capetti because technically he plays in the nine. Or I guess I could do it. No, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it by that. So, TD Ortiz or Enzo Capetti? Enzo. How big do you feel the gap is? Significantly big. I would. Significantly, I, I, I think Enzo is at least a tier, if not sort of two. I'm just making up these tiers as I go. Um, but the, the gap is the gap is big in my mind between those two. Okay. Uh, Jordi Reyna or Justin Miram? Justin Miram. Okay. How big do you feel the gap is? 
uh, incredibly big, actually. This one's even bigger to me than Enzo. Um, Miram is a very productive MLS player, and I think people have become disillusioned because he's been starting so much. That shouldn't be his role right now. But even a 34-year-old Miram is better than what Reyna was. Alon Franco or Brant Bronico? Franco. Yep, I'm on, I'm on the train of that one. How big do you know the gap is? Very big, but I also want to preface this by anyone who has followed me for any period of time knows that I had an unhealthy love for, for Franco. Um, and there is whatever bias that goes into that. At the end of the day, though, especially with the way we're playing right now, I actually think Alan Franco would do wonders for this team with what he would bring because the role that I think Brandt is being thrust into is a role that I think Franco would thrive in. So Brandt Bronico or Carol Schroederski? Uh, Schroederski. Yeah. Uh, we will do Mackenzie Gaines or Brecht Diagata on the wing. This is not Brecht in the middle. Um, I think I'll probably still go Diagata. Um, on the I do, wing, you'd go Diagata? I, I, I would. I would. He looked rough in that one game. He, he did it. He did, he did but I, I think, again, as a, as a Gaines fan, as someone who has been a, a fan of Mackenzie Gaines, Mackenzie, I think, w- was, has been good the past couple of times he's, he's seen the, f- the pitch, but there's a consistency issue with Mackenzie that I think is real, and I haven't seen that change. Um, it's not an ideal, but that, when you talk about levels... I think we're talking about thin margins there with with Brecht out wide and Mackenzie Gaines, but I think he Brecht is edging him for me. Also, I feel really bad because I used part of the statistics of the wrong game. Um, I pulled up <laughs> two of them and I wasn't paying attention. Uh, so technically in the nine, it would have been Carroll. I think probably we would both take Carroll over TD Ortiz. Yes. And it's actually still Mackenzie Gaines on the wing in both of these two matches. Okay. Perfect. From our most recent to <laughs> uh, to us playing DC United in the beginning of this club's history, both of them were still Mackenzie Gaines. Uh, so let me go back here and say uh, Joseph Mora or uh, or Uranen. <laughs> Uranen. I think you take Uranen in that one. Uh, Christian Fuchs or Andrew Privet. Fuchs. Fuchs. Yeah, I, think I actually really like I actually really liked Fuchs as a as a center back. I don't think we had our good pairing for him because he wasn't quick enough. We needed a quick partner for him and we never really got that. We needed a deal some Alanda. Um, yeah. So and we got him just after Fuchs was gone. <laughs> uh, this one, I think, is going to be kind of a, a, a no brainer. But uh, Christian McCoon or Ashley Westwood. <laughs> McCoon all day. Christian, bring him back. No, um, obviously, <laughs> Ashley Westwood. Also, I will say a little unfair. Obviously, Christian is a is a center back and, and Ashley, you know, very different roles. Christian McCoon is one of those guys where I think I do still see the talent and people do forget how young he was. But he always feels like a guy who's going to have the talent that entices you to believe in him. And it's never going to quite come together. Yeah. So uh, Adilson Melanda or Guzman Carujo? Melanda. But that, that's, that's, that's Melanda a there too. That's a tough one, though. Um, Nathan Byrne or Jalen Lindsay? Lindsay. Yep. So uh, Christian Kalina was the goalkeeper in both of them. Mm-hmm. So what that means is from the first game this team ever played under all of the problems that it experienced in getting players, right? We've discussed mm-hmm. at length how awful it was for Charlotte FC to acquire the players that it wanted. 
with all of the time that has existed in Charlotte FC with Christian Latanzio at the helm, uh, we have one, two, three, four, five of the 11 positions that either have not changed or we would take the old player over the new one. That is half of the team. Mm. Uh, And when you go in and you look at it, all of the people that we would take over the the old team, with the exception of Carol Sroderski and uh, Adilson Melanda, because I would take Adilson over. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other the other ones are all thirty two plus. Mm-hmm. They're all very very elderly players from a professional standpoint. They're not long term players. They're not going to be the ones who built this club going forward. That is kind of damning to me. Like yeah. that is a. That is a statement on where this club has gone that I would still take five of the original players from a team that was quite bad. Yeah, and I we've talked at length about this as well, but when you talk about roster construction and a vision for a roster, to me it comes back to that as well. Because I look at a guy like Franco who, again, I don't know what happened once Christian Latanzio came um, into power as the manager. Um, I, I don't know what he was looking for, what he wasn't looking for, what Franco was or was not giving. I know Franco was also a divisive player amongst the fan base. But again, when I look at vision for this club, I do look at Franco and I think there was a guy who ran around. He was more tech. He, he could do the pressing that Brent Bronico could do. He was a better passer. He was a better technical player. I think he was probably not that he got into that position too many times, but I would wager he probably was a better finisher than than Bronico. He's the kind of guy who I look at and I go, if the vision was to move to what we're currently playing, why why wasn't Franco continu- why wasn't he part of the plan? I I think back to a guy like Jordi Alcivar too. He was our he was our U22 oh. initiative. To to be fair on Jordi Alcivar, he was our U22 initiative, but apparently there were also significant personality problems with Jordi, which fair. Fair uh, enough then. Like I can, I can forgive any coach saying this person is a problem in the, this person is toxic to the pool. And I'm not saying he was, I'm saying I've heard that. And I can forgive any coach saying this person is toxic to the pool. I don't care how good he is, pull him out. But if you, if you look at the benches, Adam Armour, Jordi Alcivar, Daniel Rios, Ben Bender, Chris Hegert, Jan Sopachinski, Sergio Ruiz, Harrison Offal. Yeah, Sergio. Uh, And George Marks versus Kamal Yuzviak. Enzo Capetti, Kerwin Vargas, Derek Jones, Scott Arfield, Bill Tuiloma, Jalen Lindsay, George Marks, and Patrick Aguiman. The bench is stronger, I think. The I, bench... I will say that. The bench, I think, it, from top to bottom, there's some overlap there. But I think that the bench that we currently have is a stronger bench than that. And that's, that's mainly because I was never a huge believer in Daniel Rios. Hegert was serviceable, but I never truly believed it. Um, Ruiz is the one guy, again, looking at that bench where, as you were naming him, I, I, you know, exclaimed his name. I don't blame him for going back. He was homesick from what from what I understand. But he's another guy where, my God, him in that Brant Bronico role. Now we're really talking. Forget Alan Franco. Sergio Ruiz in that Brant Bronico role is scoring us eight goals and probably assisting in six. Like 
that is the role that was tailor made for him. Um, and again, he he's an outlier because he didn't go because of personality or because coaches, I don't think, didn't want him. That that was sort of a personal homesickness, and I think the club understood that, which is good on them and, and good on everyone around. It's just a sort of a big what if, I think. Yeah, I my my final wrap up on this is going to be because I think we should move on to other things. Is going to be I do think that there was a there was a moment in the game against New England Revolution where I saw Christian Latanzio throw his hands up in the air and say, "Screw it." random crap go <laughs> and legit there was a point where christian latanzio finally snapped and he said yep everyone who is is listed as an attacker on the field you go attack and mm -hmm. there's a part of mm -hmm. me that's glad for that like there's a part yeah. of me that that wants to see him uh, a chase a win yeah and there's also a part of me that says if that was ever going to be a part of his plan we would have seen it a year ago Mm -hmm. Right. So if he's doing it now, that is genuinely Christian Latanzio going, well, you know what? I got no answers. And that's just not what I want to hear about my football club. I, I, I don't think that I intended to be quite this frustrated in this podcast. So <laughs> let's let's jump ahead and let's do the midfield discussion really quickly, because you have a point that you'd like to make on the midfield. Yeah. So with the midfield, I've seen a lot of talk, I think, on on who is best served in there. And we, and we were talking a little bit beforehand about Ashley Westwood seems to be getting marked out of games by, by two people. And I think when you don't have Derek Jones, who can really receive a ball very well and work his way out of trouble, that's an issue. But the other thing I've seen is, is sort of a call for Scott Arfield to join the midfield from the start. Um, and this will probably be a bit of a, contrarian take but i actually don't want to see that and that's not because i don't like what scott scott arfield brings to the club it's actually because i see his value as a guy coming off the bench charlotte has rarely had a game changer off the bench a guy who can come in doesn't need time to settle into the game um and can make something happen and scott arfield has shown that he's 34 he's 35 so the idea of him being a starter he's not going 90 minutes for you anyways Right. You're going to have to sub him off 60, 70th minute. And I just think that he's more impactful coming off the bench and that's where he should stay. So I think any midfield discussion really centers around where does Carroll start? Is he the nine or is he in the midfield? And then where does does DJ figure into this? If he is he going to play? Is he not? And that you sort of go from there. Um but my, my overall point is I just think that our field is really good at what he's been doing, which is making an impact off the bench. Yeah, I, I want to bring something up here, and that is the games in which Charlotte FC looked the best this season, every single one of them, the whole plan was built around Derek Jones. Mm. And I understand Derek Jones is the type of player who you either build everything around him or he can be a liability. <laughs> but that's what happens when you have players who have superpowers, right? There yeah. are players who you can build whole sections of the field around, and, and that will work. And almost every time we have seen the team come out and a large section of the field was built around the superpowers of Derek Jones, we've won the game or we have exceeded expectations. I, I definitely think Derek also brings out the best or allows the best to be brought out of Ashley Westwood. Because Ashley I, Westwood... I agree. For whatever one says, he is, in my opinion, he is not a defensive midfielder. 
yes, he can track people because that's he has so much experience. He has so much knowledge of the game. But he is a eight. He is a guy who I do not want at the base of my midfield. I want him to be able to drift into those pockets, carry pass it up and then connect. But he's not a defensive midfielder. And that's the role he's been playing. And that, to me, does not bring out the best in Ashley Westwood. And therefore, when he's your only guy who has that ability to unlock the defense from anywhere on the field with a pass, you lose that immediately when he has to be that defensive player and when he can be just marked out of game sometimes. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. And I'm not going to go any further into that. I think the R field discussion is an interesting one. I do think he he has the ability to impact in this team in a way that I don't see a lot of other people. And I appreciate the thought that Miram could be doing that as well. Yeah, I think my frustration with this team is for all of our for all of our attempts at it, I don't look at this team and see two wingers I want starting. I, 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 I mean, do you see two wingers that you go, yes, nail them down. If they're healthy, these are the two. They're going to run the MLS. Mm, no. And, and I don't know. Part of that is because I don't know what's happened with Vargas. I don't know why he's fallen out of favor, whether that was due to injury or, or whatnot. I, I thought we'd see more of him he, this year, but he hasn't looked good. And and that's fair. When he when he's been on the pitch, he hasn't looked good. I am a believer to some degree in reps and and getting into a rhythm. And I don't I don't think he's been given that chance due to injury and due to playing time. But okay, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring something up here, and then we might we might get into a fight over this. Um, so sorry to to our our dear dear listeners if if this ends up as a fight. Um, I am not convinced. <laughs> <laughs> that the MLS is of a level that you have to play yourself into. Like there are leagues in the world where you are, where legitimately eighth of a second micro mistakes are the difference between being successful and not. And the MLS is not one of them. And I'm not saying the, the standard of the MLS is garbage. I'm saying that you can take an extra second on the ball in the MLS and still be effective. And at this level, I kind of expect these guys to be able to pop up off the bench and go, yeah, if I have an extra second on the ball, I should be able to control it. And I, I, I guess there's an element of, of playing yourself in that always helps, right? It always makes you better. But the bar is pretty low. <laughs> like I, My only pushback would be, I, I think that's a fair statement for established veterans. I think for a guy like Kerwin Vargas, I'm still going to give him the benefit of the doubt because Kerwin Vargas is what, 21, 22? Like when, when you talk, yes, like the MLS level, we're not talking England, we're not talking Germany, right? But this is also a guy who at a professional level is still learning. And so I, I think I agree with you. A guy like Brant Bronico, a guy like um, Ashley Westwood, yeah, they should be able to to come in and, and just sort of hit the ground running in MLS. But a guy like Kerwin Vargas, a guy like Andrew Privet now, right? I think you do still have to give those guys a little bit of a leash and say, like, you need to get into a rhythm and you need to you need to be playing regularly. So, so something I want you to think about for next week, because this might be a next week thing, is I don't see the plan for Kerwin. And we don't have to go into it now, but like, but yeah. like, I can see the plan for Bender. I may not love the plan for Bender. I can see the plan for Westwood. I may not love the plan for Westwood. I can see the plan for Carol. Kinda. I, I may not love the plan for Carol, right? Like, 
I may disagree mm. fundamentally with almost everything that Charlotte FC does, but I can understand it. And like, maybe that'll be a good question for next time is what, yeah. what, what is the plan? Uh, let's move ahead just for time's sake, uh, because we are recording this on Wednesday. Uh, you guys will not get it until Thursday, but we didn't figure it made sense to put it out as we were playing Toronto. So instead yeah. of Toronto, let's talk about Chicago. Who's Chicago? What do they do? Are they useful for anything? And how are we going to murder them in um, football? So I'm sure anyone who's ever been on the internet has seen the meme of the Spider-Men pointing at each other. Yes. That is what Chicago and Charlotte are. Um, they are the same team. They've just gotten slightly different results. Um, and, and what I mean by this is Chicago's currently on 37 points. Charlotte's on 33. Chicago has scored 35 goals and allowed 47. Charlotte has scored 37 and allowed 50. They have a negative 12 and a negative 13 goal differential. This is the same team. They can't score prolifically. Um, they cannot defend to save their life. When you look at who leads their team in goals and assists, um, it's a 20-year-old for Chicago who has eight goals and assists. I believe Swiderski leads us, and he's probably a little bit higher than that, but not much. These are two teams that are where they should be, and that is fighting to for a chance to get into the playoffs and then be bounced first round. And I hate to put it that way for, for Charlotte. I don't really care about saying that about Chicago. Um, but again, you know, Chicago's highest scorer is a 39-year-old in, in Kai Kamara with five goals. This is, this is not a good team, and this is a battle of two not great teams. The only thing I am confident in saying, which means that this will 100% happen, is that it won't be a 0-0 game. Because, again, <laughs> it's just neither of these... It's just too leaky. And so from a neutral perspective, this will probably be a fun game because you're probably going to see goals um, from a Charlotte perspective. We're going to see goals. And I imagine it ends in a tie because that's the way our, our club works nowadays um, <laughs> to get yeah. to, oh, to not go too in deep with with any of this. Kai Kamara there. He's their striker again. He's 39. But. Whenever Kai plays, he scores. He, he's been a good player for a long time. This is obviously not the same player he once was. He's on his last leg, so to speak. But he's a crafty veteran. The guy that really intrigues me is Brian Gutierrez. He has two goals and six assists on the season. And he is 20 years old. Last year um, was his first season really playing um, significant minutes for Chicago. And he had two goals and five assists. So his ability to find teammates and in good places is a real ability. And again, he's only 20 years old. He's mostly going to be playing off the left. Sometimes he'll drift in the middle. He'll, he'll sort of go around the park. Um, but he's a really young, exciting uh, U.S. international player as well. He's, a, he's an American. Um, so he's a guy who conceivably maybe could work his way into a move to Europe or a way into the national team discussion. Um, from sort of a, a neutral perspective, if I were a neutral, he'd be the guy I'd be keeping my eye on because he's a really young, exciting player in this league. Yeah, from a from a Charlotte FC perspective, and I, you know, this will be my thing to watch for the game is is I, I'm going to be watching who's up for it. Right. Uh, right now, Charlotte FC is not the team. And and that's life. I mean, we are yeah. where we are. 
uh, I'm going to be watching who wants to play for the badge. Yeah. Because I can tell you, as uh, I think I, I think I qualify under hardcore fan. Do you think that's fair? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and anyone on, listening to this, yeah, you are also a hardcore also fan at this point in this season. <laughs> I, I, I think we qualify for that moniker and my head's down. Right. Yeah. There, there are times now where it's even difficult for me to engage with Charlotte FC. And we're going to find out what people are made of in the rest of the season. We're going to find yeah. out who comes on and says, this is my chance. We're going to find out who says, you know, this team has, has the ability to go somewhere and I'm going to be in it. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out if anyone does that. <laughs> and uh, on, I feel like I'm having to say this far too often now. Uh, but on that somewhat depressing note, <laughs> If you have decided to spend your time with us, we love you. Genuinely, we do. Uh, And thank you so much, Josh. Thank you. We will talk to you again after we go and get our next three points from Toronto and Chicago. Six six points. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) we're going to go win football matches, and we'll talk to you after that. (laughs) Goodbye. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com.